Imagine one of the old Clint Eastwood westerns. The Clint Eastwood character is new in town, and a few local toughs want to mess with him. After a little conversation, one of the local guys says, Mister, you got a lot to learn. The Clint Eastwood character's eyes narrow, and he looks straight at the guy, and he answers, Mister, we all got a lot to learn. But thank you for reminding me, because it's easy to forget. And yet, thinking this way is probably the single biggest factor in my personal growth and long-term success and happiness. The Eastwood character smiles and tips his hat and maybe even offers these guys a cigar before he turns and walks the other way in deep concentration about his own opportunities for personal growth. That would be a kind of a crazy twist, wouldn't it, to a Western But why does that sound so strange? Why is it that telling someone he has a lot to learn usually seen as an insult? What is it that makes us think we need to be finished products, past needing to learn anything new, past seeing ourselves as a continuous work in process? Some listeners are old enough to remember seeing a lot of news coverage of Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. Business journalists were eager to hear from the richest man in America, who seemed perfectly happy running Walmart and driving around northwest Arkansas with a dog in his pickup truck. But the journalists who did get a chance to interview Walton often reported a surprising phenomenon, that he ended up asking them more questions than they asked him. In other words, he saw these meetings not as a chance to pontificate about his greatness, but as some sort of an information crossroads with people who had news from all over the world that intrigued him. Later, we started to see articles about the famous friendship between Bill Gates, co-founder of Microsoft, and Warren Buffett, the legendary investor and head of Berkshire Hathaway. These two men came from different generations, different states, and different industries. But when they were asked why they were such close friends, they both gave the same answer. There is nobody that I learn more from than that guy. Even more recently, although not recently enough, NFL coach Sean Payton led the New Orleans Saints to a Super Bowl championship. Soon after the victory, reporters asked Sean Payton to explain why the Saints had been so successful that year. He answered, We always assumed that our chances to win depended on studying the other team more than they studied us. Now, if you're hoping for more analysis of the New Orleans Saints, I'm going to disappoint you. But you can get all you want at another podcast, Pro Saints Talk, a podcast for Saints fans by Saints fans. Pardon the sales pitch, but those guys have been promoters of this podcast, so I've got to return the favor. Brian Grazer, the famous movie producer, co-founded Imagine Entertainment with Ron Howard. Together, they've produced a string of movie hits and critical successes, including Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind, and many more. In 2015, Grazer wrote and published his autobiographical book, A Curious Mind, The Secret to a Bigger Life. Grazer tells the story of starting as a lowly clerk in the movie industry, and he was sent to make deliveries to celebrities. Grazer always insisted on making his delivery in person, 
even when the gatekeeper said he couldn't. When Grazer met the celebrity, he asked questions, really penetrating, insightful questions, and the celebrities found themselves opening up to him and later helping him advance his career. Grazer gives most of the credit for his success to having a curious mind. We can think about some opposite stories. I've talked in a previous podcast about Jim Collins, who was the co-author of the business book Built to Last, and then later author of the book Good to Great. Collins later wrote How the Mighty Fall, after looking for common denominators among companies that had once shined but later faded. You might think these companies had leaders and employees who quit trying as hard, but that's not what Collins found. Sometimes they worked even harder. What Collins did find was this. The employees and the leaders got more resistant to signals that something had changed or that their thinking might be wrong, maybe less tolerant of disagreement internally. In other words, still hardworking, but without a healthy curiosity, without a student mindset. I can say that my own success has varied according to my mindset. I can be a vigorous student disruptor or builder, or I can fall into the trap of enjoying the status that sometimes come with having done that and then losing track of the habits that got me there. I think that's what Wynton Marsalis, the trumpet player and jazz historian, meant when he once said, The best advice my father ever gave me was this. When you start to care too much about the applause, you're finished. When I was a young professional, recently married, and with a young baby in the house, I felt a little overwhelmed. I wondered if I was big enough for these responsibilities. I was on the phone with my father, and I told him that. He answered, The only way to be reconciled with existence is to see it as continuous change and growth. I've never forgotten that. I'm starting to see how this matters when I interview people. The candidate who asks no questions, or the one who asks the sort of scripted questions that don't actually show any genuine recognition that he or she would have a lot to learn in order to handle any modern job, that candidate scares me. It's a big disqualifier. Every time we add a new employee in any group reporting through me, I schedule a short orientation to share my thoughts about what sort of habits I've seen correlate with success and happiness at Interlocks. One of the two key things that I emphasize is this, to bring a learning mindset forever, no matter how far anyone gets down their career path. Most people are alert and learning full when they're brand new, but some then seem to stop once they realize they've got the basics of the job. I tell them, don't. Don't be that person. Because when you stop, you're starting the slow road to irrelevance. I can't think of a single person who, having heard this, hasn't seemed to relax a little and nod. And I guess it's because the subliminal message is, we know you're not perfect, and we don't expect you to be. So when you see that you need to get bigger in some way, don't beat yourself up about it. Just embrace it. How about relationships? When I was younger, maybe in one of those phases when I had less of a student mindset, no one could persuade me to read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. The title itself sounded so 1950s salesman-ish, but I couldn't have been more wrong. 
Carnegie's premise is the biggest swing factor in our ability to form relationships is the cultivation of genuine, not phony, interest in the other person. For most of us, the person we find the most interesting is not whoever just came back from the latest exotic trip, but the person who keeps us talking about something we feel passionate about, the one who gives us a genuine echo. In other words, if you want to make friends, be curious about them and interested in what they have to say. I actually saw on a visit to one of our customers, I saw a sign on someone's cubicle that said, I will be interested, not interesting. Another great thing about curiosity or a student mindset is we have maximum influence over this. No one can just decide to have a higher IQ or to have richer parents or to have a past that's more predictive of success. But anyone really can just decide to be more curious. It takes intentionality and practice, but it's completely within our control. There are many techniques to do this well and probably better sources than this podcast on how to explore some of those techniques. But one technique is just to expose yourself to things that surprise you or people who in some way or another raise your standards instead of running from those exposures. Maybe you've heard the old expression, if you're the smartest person in your group, find a new group. Let's go back to the Clint Eastwood story. How hearing something like, You've got a lot to learn. Seems like an insult. But imagine starting every day telling yourself, I've got a lot to learn, and being perfectly at home with that. It's a way of lacing up your students' sneakers and being ready for work or life. Because if you're in the mindset of defending, I'm good enough now, then unless you're a hermit or just waiting for your own decline, You're actually in tension with reality if you're fighting the need to adapt. And as our company's lead owner, Jay LaPere, sometimes says, reality bats last. Think of a swimmer who finds himself in a riptide and tries to win against the water. The water always wins. Reality always wins. And so, in the words of my father's advice, the way to be reconciled with reality is to see it as a need for continuous adaptation and change and growth. Here's a postscript. Do you think this country would be better off if we all showed a little more curiosity about people we disagree with? Instead of listening to the media that just reinforce our own views, imagine each of us could actually write the brief for the opposing viewpoint. Imagine more of us could pick a topic we feel conviction about and be able to certify that we found the most credible advocate for the other side, not some stooge that our favorite media put up to represent the opposing view, but the most thoughtful, persuasive advocate. And then after hearing that, we could repeat back that viewpoint artfully before we say why we still disagree. Do you think we might be a better country?